Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Hello, Micah. <laughs> Mine was maybe a little more pained than usual just because we're all exhausted out here. It's an exhausting life so far. Yeah, I feel like your intro was that little meme that's like the cartoon dog with the house on fire being like, everything is fine. <laughs> that, is, that is how I feel I'm getting through the day. <laughs> fine. We all have those days. I believe it will be November when this episode comes <gasps> out. It is currently Halloween in case you hear trick-or-treaters coming through I had through to close my, my window because the children were rowdy out here. Those rowdy children. <laughs> It was actually cute, though. I came home today, and we have, like, a stoop. I live, like, in a brownstone, I guess. And the neighbors who have a kid were, like, sitting out there with their friend and their friend's kid and having, like, a little Halloween party, playing, like, Monster Mash and handing out candy and stuff. It was very cute. That's really cute. Yeah. I'm all here for people celebrating Halloween as they like. I am a non-celebrator mm, for no me. reason other than me being the Halloween Grinch, because I'm just waiting for Christmas to happen. <laughs> but I respect everyone's choice to celebrate. I used to hate it when I was a kid, because my mother always forced costumes on us that we didn't want. I believe that. And I always felt so guilty asking for candy. It's a very guilt-ridden oh, child. Interesting. This isn't therapy, so we don't have to go too deep. But <laughs> <laughs> as I got older, I started realizing, no, like I really like spooky things. I love crappy monster movies. And I mean, fall is my favorite time of year. So like, as yeah, I got older, yeah. I started appreciating all of the things that I wish I appreciated as a kid. That's fair. I'm too old and antisocial to have anything to dress up for. So like, I don't, I haven't dressed up as anything in a few years, but when there's an opportunity, it could be fun for me, at least, I guess not you. I mean, we could have a two person <laughs> party next year. <laughs> Okay. I want okay. to share your thoughts. <laughs> oh my god, I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> okay. Okay, we should get into the episode. So our episode might be spooky for people that don't like change. Because <laughs> it is about <laughs> emerging type tech tools. Only some of which we understand. Yeah, which, you know, amazing. Want to just get all of these... Um, things on people's radars. So today, the Nerd Alert and the links are one holistic, happy Adam's family, where <laughs> the links are the Nerd Alert, the Nerd Alert's links are basically going to showcase some of the news and upcoming tools people are using that are kind of moving the type world forward into its next chapter. I like it. Our first article is super interesting. Comes from Print Magazine. Written by the very famous Stephen Heller, and that is titled The Daily Heller. There is nothing artificial about AI type design. So the gist of this article is that two creatives, Andrea A. Trabuco Campos and Martin Azambuja, hopefully pronouncing those correctly, have created a book, Artificial Typography, and it's born out of the curiosity about the AI space. So the two of them received access to MidJourney, which is a lab that allows you to use Dolly to kind of software to create 
images. So we talked about Dolly a couple months back and basically allows you to type in a description for an image and it will spit out an image. And that can obviously be anything that you can think of. And then also in the style of artists and architects that the artificial intelligence has learned at that given point. So with this, Tribucio Campos and Azambuja have created this book that has all these letter forms that are imagined letter forms by particular artists or sculptures or architects or designers, which is pretty crazy because things start looking very, very photorealistic and very close to the rendering of these original artists. What do you think of these? Because there's there's a bunch of examples in the article of what's in the book, right? I find them really compelling. There's not exactly captions for most of the images that are shown, but I can already tell like these are really imaginative letter forms that I don't think I would be able to come up with myself without thorough research and then also the crafting skills to mimic a painter, whether that's Matisse or Picasso, or there's even images of sculptural letters. They literally show a letter that is in the same vein as Isamu Noguchi, who obviously was a famous sculptor and designer. And I'm really compelled by them just as images to look at and be inspired by. What do you think? I found the images themselves really beautiful and fascinating. There were a few interesting points. One is at some point in this article, they made a point to say it being a book is sort of like, like it it adds a layer of permanence to these kind of random and throwaway ideas. A lot of the way that you use this, these AI tools at the moment is like you write in a prompt and they even referenced in one of the answers to like, how long does it take to do these? And they were like, you write the prompt and hit enter and it's 54 seconds. And adding a layer of permanence to like these random ideas that came out is interesting conceptually. And also goes back to a question that I'm not sure anybody has much of an answer for yet of whose creativity is this? If you're saying, draw me something in the style of Rousseau, right? Like make me a letter R in the jungle painting by Rousseau. The designer is not the one who's actually creating the image. Well, that's tough. That's why it's interesting. Because <laughs> like they're yeah. creating the image by prompting the computer to come up with it. They created the prompts and the prompt created the image. Did they create the image? And if it's in the style of Rousseau, what credit goes to Rousseau when obviously Rousseau had absolutely nothing to do with this? Yeah. Always an interesting kind of facet to all this. One thing I really love that they mentioned, you know, this is an interview, this article. You hear from the designers that were working on this, what their thoughts are on artificial intelligence. Obviously talking right now that it's used as a tool. And at the moment, it needs us more than we need it. So it's running Mm. off of data that is being fed. So sure, that's all going to make it more accurate and faster and easier the more we can feed it data and the more times designer actually use this tool, the like proof of concept and the more reason to use the tool will come about. But I want to go back to what you were saying about if you're doing a letter in the style of Rousseau, it gets iffy on whose creativity this is. I think still the question remains big. 
on contemporary artists. Like these are all artists from like, let's say like the 20th or 19th century that they're playing with. But what happens if someone's like, create a book cover in the style of Jessica Hish? What Mm. does that mean? Which I've seen. I don't know if we ever shared it, but I found some curated AI prompt website with the outputs and the prompts. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I liked most about it was here's like a set of basically fictional Banksy's. Mm -hmm. I I love Banksy. That's like one of my favorite contemporary artists. And they look a lot like something that Banksy would do, but Banksy didn't do it. And Banksy's still around today. I mean, Banksy maybe is an interesting example because Banksy's so anti-establishment. Yeah. But still, Banksy didn't do it and it's in the style of Banksy. I don't know. Is that okay? I don't know. Yeah, definitely some gray ethical questions behind this. But I think regardless, it does get me a little bit more excited about the software. I mean, it is a tool that we can use. And again, I think it can be used for good or bad. And like in these instances, I think it's just like bleeding imaginative letter forms that are really inspiring to me. But yeah, I think the more we use it, the more issues and the more successes are obviously going to arise. Yeah, indeed. And interesting because, you know, it's about fonts this time. Yeah. I mean, if I saw this book at a bookstore, I would 100% pick it up. I'd love to like look through it and see the collection that they've made here. It is also just like a very beautiful, to go along with that, like it's a very beautiful uh, coffee table looking book. Yeah. Love to see people moving forward with the dolly too and taking it seriously. Interesting. Our next is an oldie, but a goodie, but a newie, but an oldie. (laughs) Well put. Yeah. Eloquent. Thank you. And that is a link to Font Lab 8. You certainly have more of a historical knowledge of Font Lab, which I would love kind of what you would describe Font Lab as over the years of you in the type design industry, because this looks like a brand spanking new software, but I feel like they've been around for a long, long time. To me, I don't know if this is factual, but in my personal experience, Font Lab was like the OG. Yep. When we were learning how to make a font in college and even at the very beginning of the league, Font Lab was the thing that you use. Like Glyphs didn't exist yet, Robofont didn't exist yet. I feel bad, but I always forget the name of the open source one. Font Forge. <laughs> font Forge. I'm pretty sure Font Forge existed, but despite me loving that it's open source, it has and continues to be kind of crappy ux wise Mm -hmm. and font lab was usable and detailed like pretty heavy to jump into but it was like what all of the professionals told us all the professionals used so like Mm -hmm. i remember some people complained when we were open sourcing the first couple league fonts because we were like yeah we have the source files it's like a font lab file and a lot of people were like i can't pay for font lab what the heck and we're like oh right i guess that's fair and that was when we like adopted UFOs and then glyphs and you know whatever else. But Fallab, no matter what, it's an OG. It's an OG. Yeah. I kind of like that we have oldie but newy but goody. That's that's the only way I'm gonna refer to it now in here. I also think it's interesting. I scrolled to the bottom, curious about the price points for Font Lab. Five hundred dollars for a lifetime license for Font Lab eight in particular. That seems lower than what I remember it being back in the day. Correct me if I'm wrong. I also am not positive, but 
I thought it was like 800 or something Same. like that. Definitely under that impression. This could either be Berenstein Bears situation or work around. <laughs> well, I also think it's interesting. Font Lab did not have, I don't believe. Okay, so I was purchasing font design software in 2016. So what, that's six years ago? Glyphs was the obvious choice. They had a massive student discount if you wanted to use the software. And now FontLab has a student discount, an academic teacher discount, and an option to upgrade your previous FontLab version for heavily discounted prices. Like student one year is $109. I do wonder if like that's been pushed along because obviously the type design community is growing. And I think a lot of people got on board with Glyphs because it seemed like the most accessible price point and obviously interface. And very interested to see that now other older software is kind of rising up to the plate and trying to be competitive. I looked up, oh, I didn't look up. At the very bottom, you'll find kind of different fonts made with FontLab. Material Symbols by Google was made with FontLab. And that was the most famous font I knew on their (laughs) made with FontLab section. Fair enough. Yeah. Also interesting to point, since you were just mentioning glyphs, I noticed in the features section, it opens and can export glyphs format, which is oh. funny. That's interesting. This whole website just seems like they've been brought into the 2020s. And the more options I say, the better. Okay, here's my one opinion that I'll throw in that I can think of. Agree. Like, it feels like they're finally up to date again. But I I don't see anything that makes me feel like I need to switch. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Obviously, they're trying to get back in the conversation. And I'm not sure that there's anything in here that is like a unique and magical thing that they are bringing to the table. Yeah, it's tough to kind of parse that out now that all the font design softwares have become so robust. And I'm obviously more familiar with with glyphs than any other one but it looks a lot like glyphs i know it's not but like at a glance i'm reminded of it i'd be curious if anybody out there decides to give font lab 8 a try tell us i wouldn't be surprised if there were some features under the hood or like things that are just not obvious from the marketing website that maybe there is something magical and they just aren't talking about it the right way um, good point. And to be fair, I don't I don't really have anything to play with at the moment, so I don't have a good excuse to like there is a 10-day free trial, so anybody could go check it out and see what they think and I just haven't had a good excuse to. Yeah, I agree. So, anyone that's using FontLab, tell us why you like it. Curious. Yeah. Compared to the rest. All right. Our next link is straight from the fun side of the internet. Man, I just, (laughs) this is so fun. Did you find this? I found this. I was just like hanging out on Arena, as one sometimes does, trying to feel Arena, A R E dot N A, a big collection of collections, basically, that I have tried to describe this platform a thousand times, but it's basically like a bookmarking tool. And a lot of designers are on it. And then you can see other designers' bookmarks. And that like kind of goes on for infinity. And so I was looking for resources. So I was looking through other designers' collections of resources. This is so funny. And I was like in a type resource thing and found this tool, calligrapher.ai. So what you do, you write in a fun phrase. It could be whatever you want at the bottom. You enter the text there. 
And I just like do my name while I'm speaking right now. And then you have these sliders, kind of like variable font sliders, except they don't immediately react to the type that's there. So you have speed, legibility, stroke width, and then you can adjust those sliders accordingly and press the button that says right. And you can see what your word looks like with more or less legibility, with more or less stroke width. And sorry, I didn't mention this all is supposed to mimic handwriting. So there's nine styles of handwriting that you can also try out in the corner. There's really not many buttons. I know this sounds complex, but there are like four or five things you can really <laughs> touch here. And I love the authenticity of the handwriting. If you have double letters, it doesn't necessarily repeat the glyphs. And then you can just download an SVG in the top left corner and you have an vector form of a handwritten word. I think that is cool. It is objectively cool, is the thing. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know who made it. There's no, like, about section here. Yeah, I really hate the interface. Shifting those things should rewrite the thing. It's so, like, there's so many missed opportunities. But I think you showed Steph and I this at some point a while ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a couple um, months ago or a month or two ago. Yeah. And at that point, I did a little bit of research and I don't have it saved because I'm a little unprepared this week. But I feel like I'm looking now and I remember seeing that this was based on some open source AI that is behind this. Yes. What I'm seeing, and I don't know if this is directly this, but it's at least similar to this. So it probably maybe is related is using recurrent neural networks to draw these things, which is part of why, if you've ever heard neural networks, it's like a kind of AI where you don't have to actively train it. It kind of makes a lot of inferences on its own, I guess is a simple way to say it. Interesting. I think I may have found the GitHub for it. I found one that says it's like similar to calligraphy.ai. Yeah. So I don't know if that's it or not, but it's it, in any case, it's pretty cool. And even if this isn't that, there are things that are like that that point out the interesting point of using AI to make more realistic handwriting than fonts. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And obviously, we're big fans of handwriting fonts here at the league. And honestly, sometimes when I'm mocking up projects and I would maybe just like want a quick phrase in a handwritten font that feels authentic. I could totally see myself reaching for something like this for like a quick mock-up or something. If you don't need like a functioning font, you maybe just need a piece of lettering and you have like a few styles to choose from and you could easily use that as a tool to like proof of concept, a handwritten piece in design. Wait, I just found more directly related to what you're talking about. A, I think probably... The open source thing that you're looking at is the thing that I'm looking at from S.J. Vasquez. Is that it? No, but I'm going to find that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't sure if that was it. And then it says web demo is available here. The website wasn't the same. I clicked on it and it redirected to calligraphy.ai. So it's definitely this. Okay. And it's handwriting synthesis with recurrent neural networks. And there's a link to like this intense Cornell University scientific paper. I'm sorry, named Alex Graves about using. Ah, uh, yes, I'm there. Neural networks to draw stuff, and then there's an extra little piece in the README of training it on your own handwriting. Oh shoot! Really? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. So, I mean, while I'm saying, you know, I'm certainly not an AI expert. I've dabbled a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's not the same training as like, okay. Like the more basic AI that I think a lot of us think of is like you feed a bunch of images that are cats and a bunch of images that are dogs. Or let's say you have a folder of, you know, a hundred images of cats, a hundred images of dogs. You take 80 of each. You give it to the AI. You say, here's 80 dogs. Here's 80 cats. Yeah. And then when you show it the other 20 mixed up randomly, it should be able to tell the difference between is this a dog or a cat. Mm -hmm. And neural networks are kind of a little bit different where you like, rather than saying here's A and here's B, you're just kind of like, here's a bunch of stuff. And it starts inferring stuff internally on its own. You can't necessarily see the decision-making all the time. So anyway, that doesn't matter and it's probably too detailed. But I'm very curious to play with this in terms of your awesome handwriting. Yeah, right? I'm curious now. But also just want to say I appreciate that insight into some of that AI stuff. This is the merging tech episode. So please. I guess you're right. I probably should have prepared as you. I don't want to say something incorrect. So I'm like, that's probably good enough. I love it. I think that's really helpful. And now that I'm on the GitHub, definitely really nice kind of seeing a few different samples. It's hard to sample the handwriting without actually doing it in the demo, but the readme in the GitHub will kind of show you what it's learned. And I definitely want to play around with it now. Yeah, right. The only thing is that typography people love Python. And I don't really know Python that well. <laughs> yeah. So do like data scientists, right? Like that, those are the other people that are using Python. Yeah. Fascinating. Indeed, Aroni. So that's cool. At least fun to play with. If you need something handwritten that looks really handwritten, you can just go download the SVG and you don't even have to worry about a license. Obsessed. Love it. Big fan. All right. Moving to a new frontier of letters is swamp.com. A new way to 3D as they're saying. It is an app. It seems like an in-browser 3D app. It's currently Womp Alpha, so very early. This site is like, feels very Gen Z Web3 vibes to me. I just like have to say something about the intentionally stretched type, which is one of the biggest trends ever since Spotify did it and their Spotify wrapped last year. There's that aplenty. And obviously lots of cool, colorful 3D characters. They literally kind of like show you a demo of a character being made when you open the website to show like just how easy it is to use this and manipulate it without having previous 3D experience. So interesting to continue to see the 3D software world continuing to expand. In a way, I think it's a lot like type design, where for a long time Hmm. it felt... Very difficult and exclusive, and there wasn't much education on it, except for like really expensive, high-level stuff. And it felt like something a normal person couldn't play with. And more and more tools are coming out that abstract the complexity so that us normies can (laughs) have a little play. Which I I say, I mean, I literally went to school for 3D, so I'm not even sure I categorize myself as the normie. But whatever. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely interested in checking it out down the line. I have not signed up yet, so I don't have it open on my browser or anything like that. But really love some of these materials that they show in the samples. Yoke is okay is a fun little sample where they have like this beautiful transparent 
runny egg white with this yolk, like really playful, fun stuff that's clearly already existing. I just feel like these 3D softwares are coming at a time when 3D is, I think it's still being like seen as novelty. Remember we talked about new morphism a couple years ago and we had literally a whole 3d type showcase a month or so ago i'm curious if this is really going to see a broad expansion of people using 3d the way that you were mentioning like type design there's been a broad broad expansion or is like the trend going to halt or is are people going to find new ways to use 3d that we haven't thought about before i'm just definitely keeping my eye on all this noticing that once the software becomes more accessible it's obviously meaning that the audience is just probably going to grow too yeah that's a good point it's tough for me to imagine what uses we haven't even thought of would look like i you know because we haven't thought of them but obviously yeah i do think it's going to be more like typesetting realistically like it's just going to be a thing that everybody probably can do pretty soon Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not everybody can do well necessarily yeah but like it's it's the thing available to pretty much everybody or will be you know i think not yet but that's definitely the path and so i think it'll be you know obviously much my opinion but it feels like it'll be less of a novel thing and then more about how do we come up with creativity on top of this top of it yeah yeah. Like beyond just illustration, which is kind of what a lot of these 3D softwares are showcasing. It's like illustrated characters or like a one-off illustration of a lettering piece or something like that. I'm curious your thoughts from your developer point of view. A lot of, so WAMP, but like also Spline, a similar like 3D software are embracing the in-browser experience. Yeah. Do you think like that's the future with design software? Or like, what benefits do you see with that? (laughs) The browser, for the most part, doesn't have to care that much about computer requirements. Mm, Right. So it's not like it can be Mac and Windows agnostic, right? Like it doesn't. Yeah. Is that one of the benefits? Okay. Yeah. And you like develop it once and it can and it's available anywhere. Mm. So that saves time and makes it easier to use. And also... We freaking live online now. Yeah. Everything's online. And on top of that, too, I got a hint of this. I haven't seen it. I have played with Womp a little bit. And I th- I think I, don't, I haven't caught up with Spline in a hot minute, but I think Spline is working on this or doing it where these Womp at least hints that you can have like a multiplayer design session, kind of like Figma, where you can wow. have multiple people working on the same document. You can see who's doing what. What? I at least saw something like that in there. They have like an intro video on the site. and Yep, I see it. We're collaboratively. Yeah. So that's something that it's impossible without the web. It's possible with a web-connected native app if you were building it that way. But mm-hmm. it's so much easier to do in a website because that's yeah. how a lot of websites work. Also, if you think about it, if you consider the web as a platform in itself, separate from the fact that the browser runs on a platform like Mac, Windows, Linux, whatever you're running. Like you need that platform in order to download the browser. But the web, if you consider that as its own fourth platform and all of the open source tools that people have built, anything from React itself to like the bajillion React plugins for like, hey, here's confetti or here's a heart button that explodes or here's a list 
that won't slow down your computer or here's a sign up form. You know, like there's so many components and stuff that people have built out and open sourced for mm-hmm. web frameworks that it's like mm-hmm. one of the most expansive plugin systems that freaking exists. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense for more and more tools to exist in the browser, in my opinion. I love that future predictive mica we just got out of you. Who even knew? I didn't. It's like you you have a little crystal ball in front of you. <laughs> what I'm picturing. I am magic. No doubts. Especially today on Halloween. <laughs> right, right. For what it's worth, I think WAMP's interface is like a little bit more hectic and confusing than Splines. But I haven't compared feature to feature. So worth playing with either one. Oh, Go check it out. Find a link. Oh, I love that we're just going like back to nitty gritty type. I love this. We did some broad strokes. Now we're going close in to Unbounded, a new font family. And what is Unbounded? Unbounded is possibly, this is literally the description on the site, is possibly the first open source, freely available, and on-chain funded font in the world. They love some adjectives over there. So we want to include this to kind of show a glimpse at what it looks like when the crypto world kind of Venn diagrams and overlaps with the typography world. And we'll talk about the font in a little bit. Love that it's open source. So definitely go check it out, download it, play with it. But Micah, what is your interpretation of an open source, freely available, on-chain funded font? Because those are a lot of descriptions happening. Right. So if you listen to this podcast, you probably have some idea what an open source font means. It's a font that the source code is available for how the font was made and generally also means, and in this instance also is true, that there's the open font license, which gives you a lot of license to use it in commercial or personal, in any medium, redistribute it, all the good stuff that comes from open source. So. Open source. Got it. Freely available. That I mean, it's open source. So yeah, it's freely available. A little redundant, but okay. <laughs> and then I think what they mean by on-chain funded, first on-chain funded font in the world. I'm not the only one who has debated this. I've already found somebody else debating whether that's true. But I think all I mean is like they raised the money to build this font via cryptocurrency. Yep. That was my interpretation because it, it gets confusing because like you hear cryptocurrency and you're like, oh, I don't have Ethereum. I don't have Bitcoin. I don't have the currency pay for this. But then you're also like open source. But yeah, that is the world where those two can exist is when it was funded to be created on the blockchain. So this typeface in general, I think it's like actually pretty nice to look at sans serif. It feels like it has some nice distinctions built into the letter form design. There's this kind of repeated chevron motif that's shown to help the sans serif distinguish itself from other sans serifs. I know we talked a little bit before this, but Mike and I do prefer good bold or black weight of this typeface. I think it works a little bit better than some of the lighter weights. I think it looks quite good as a headline type. You'll see a lot of examples of it very bold on this microsite. And I think something that's pretty interesting, I've read somewhere, I'm going to try to find it on this page. I saw some fine print about this, and I believe NAN, the foundry that we talk about 
quite often was involved with the design, but I'm going to look up some credits right now. Well, they list on the bottom, it's a joint collaboration between Kodo, which seems to be a fairly popular like branding design, web design agency with a lot of big names. Mm-hmm. Non, 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 non.xyz. We still have no idea how to pronounce that, which you're right. We've talked about them. We like a lot of their work. Mm-hmm. Parody, which seems to be like a blockchain technology, whatever that means. I don't know. And then the Web3 <laughs> Foundation, Foundation, which sounds pretty official and sounds like they basically raise money for decentralized blockchain stuff. And then polka dot, which uh, means something. I feel like <laughs> this is a decent microsite besides the scroll function, which you and I are both oh, like, yeah. just being great at. It's by. just like like it's the you said oh you said inertia. It's the inertia of like yeah. it doesn't stop scrolling when you stop scrolling. So it's just you miss the whole page goes by, and you're like, wait, no, I just wanted to look at the next section. It's like a slightly cruel joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The more I use it. They do mention in the description that there's a very large glyph set. It supports both Latin and Cyrillic scripts. And there's been special attention paid to African languages that have been historically overlooked. I think this is like a fine microsite to get someone to download the font. They have lots of information. They have type testers. I'm assuming I actually haven't tested out the type. Oh, yeah, I did. They have a type tester. It's great. It's fine. It gives a vibe. I would love for all these people that collaborated on this to like have a little blurb on like why this was made and how it was funded and how they got people on board to do this. And why does it require so many collaborators to make this happen? I think it still is giving like opaqueness to the crypto world. Mm. I still feel the opaqueness, even though they're literally like spelling things out for me. I just want a peek. I want a little peek inside how this was made. I mean, there is a GitHub. I don't know if that's any more helpful. I did look at the GitHub. I couldn't help but first look at the issues on the GitHub. And the first or the second issue ever opened was from our friend Eli on the internet, or at least my friend Eli on the internet. Maybe friend is a strong word. No offense. We've talked a couple times on Twitter and he's very talented saying, clarify what unchained funded means, please. Mm -hmm. And is it really first? Because like this other guy makes open source fonts and has a crypto account. And here's one that I funded by selling an NFT. And so it's like, well, okay, that's pretty fair. <laughs> and the first issue was please add source files. And they're like, Oh, right. Yes. There you go. And it was like, it was made in glyphs. It looks like. So it's not even like the technology here is to build the font is anything insane. Mm-hmm. I think it really just comes down to like cryptocurrencies paid for it. Yeah. I don't know. Which is still like a new thing. As underwhelmed as Micah and I might seem by understanding <laughs> the story behind this, I do think at the end of the day, I haven't just come across an on-chain funded open source font. I'm curious how popular of a model that's going to be for open source fonts. I'm curious if we're going to see fonts blow up in the near future that are on the chain and not open source 
But all those questions remain. Yeah, we got to find somebody who actually knows what blockchain stuff is about. Because as much as we have tried to research it, I don't think either of us can like really wrap our head around what the heck these people are talking about. I know. I don't mean to be disrespectful either. I yes, know that I same. am. <laughs> but I don't mean to be. It's just the craziest made up words. Yeah. Like you go to Polkadot and I was like, okay, well, it was on the Polkadot network. So what does that mean? The multi-chain vision for Web3 starts here. Okay. I know that there's multiple blockchains. Like Ethereum is different than Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Thank you. <laughs> Another yeah. one. So maybe Polkadot brings them all together somehow. And then the calls to action here are learn parachains, learn cross chain. And I'm like, all right, you lost me immediately. <laughs> I know. I know. And I feel like you're so much more familiar with this than this language than I am. And so I appreciate that. Oh. Yeah. I just got it. Polkadot's website is using Unbounded. Mm. I clicked on learn parachains just to be like, what the heck is this? The headline is, this is blockchain unbounded. And then I realized it's in that font that we're just talking about. Yes. Okay. So a blockchain company funded making this font. It's a brand font for a blockchain company. Whew. Okay. You're finding out with us, audience members. That makes sense. Yeah. I still want more transparency, but. Agreed. That's like. A decent gist of the sage. And I'll always support fonts being made for brands becoming open source. IBM started doing that back in 2017. And I think it's always a nice welcome addition to people's catalogs. Yeah. And it's interesting too. At some point, maybe we should do a roundup of like new custom typography in this kind of vein. This is reminding me of Mark, Mark, Marky Mark. Mark Davis. Mark Davis, thank you. I'm just bad with names in general. Worked on custom open source font for cal.com, which has become my favorite Calendly replacement. And it's interesting because it's the kind of thing where we talked about it in in like IBM and Netflix and Apple. Giant tech corporations Mm -hmm. made custom fonts that were not open sourced. And then there's, I think, been a little bit of a, a little, a very tiny little bit of a surgence of small tech companies making open source fonts that are custom brand fonts. Interesting. I definitely think that's a good kind of deep dive we should go into. And also like what companies are making them open source? Like what what companies are sharing the files? And for what reason? I feel like Goldman Sachs made that font and they're like, it's free. I'm pretty sure they made it free, so it's easy for everyone in the Goldman Sachs company internally to download it. That makes a lot of sense to me. And any other design partners they have, it probably is easier for them just to give it out free, not have to worry about licenses. But then the license, of course, was like, don't you dare disparage our company if you're going to use this fine. Right, right, right. Oh, God. They came up with their own license. Oh, my the God. The Goldman Sachs restricted font license. Yeah. So I think there is definitely often deliberateness behind what is being shared and what's not being shared and whether that's necessarily for merit or for like ease of use, to be honest. Yeah. We'll add it to the content plan. Yes, we will. Well, that's our darn heckin' episode. Crazy new techin' tech techie tech. You really came in there with your radio voice. 
And that's our episode. Amazing. Thanks and for you're joining. Do I'll see you next week, Micah. Doodle a doot. Doodle a doot. Doodle a doot. Doodle a doot.